Our scripture this morning is an excerpt from a narrative in Exodus of God's call to Moses. And that's covered over two chapters of Exodus, chapters three and four. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just to sort of set the, the stage a bit. At this time, the Israelites are enslaved under Pharaoh in Egypt. And Moses had escaped from Egypt already. He's living safely 250 miles away in a place called Midian. He's working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And God is asking Moses to advocate for the Israelites by telling Pharaoh to release them. And many of you are familiar with this story. Uh, It begins with God appearing to Moses as a burning bush. And it continues with Moses and God going back and forth multiple times in this intimate dialogue, one-on-one, each time with Moses coming up with a new reason for why he's not the man for the job that God has for him. And I'll get into this a little bit more, but for now, this scripture passage is from the last two times that Moses tries to brush God off. So may we listen to God's word from Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He's saying, I can't do this for you, God. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. The word of God for the people of God. So sometimes when we read these stories, I know for me, at least before I took one semester in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, when we hear these stories from more than 3,000 years ago, we sort of dismiss them as antiquated or irrelevant to our lives today. But going into this new year, I want to challenge you to find in these narratives from the Old Testament the universal themes in human life that exist as much today as they did when these stories were written. These stories are about the human struggle to understand our place and our purpose in the world and what exists beyond us and our relationship with what exists beyond us. What many of us call God. So when you find yourself sort of looking at an Old Testament story and being like, this is kind of nuts or this is really not relatable, I would just urge you to look for what it says about the universal in our struggle to understand everyday life. That can give you great insight into yourself and into humanity. And this Moses story 
is a great example of a story that should be relatable to each of us. On the surface, it doesn't quite seem to be. You've got God calling out from this burning bush, and then he's engaging in this conversation in human language with God about whether Moses should do what God is asking. It's like, what is that about? That's not the way it happens. But as it relates to our life today, at bottom, this is a story about risk. It's the story of someone who is afraid to risk the life he has for a life of deeper purpose and ultimate meaning in relationship with God. We're risk-avoiding creatures. That mindset is good for our biological survival. But when we become so risk-averse that we're no longer willing to take a leap of faith in a life with God, we lose our way, we lose our foundation, we lose our ultimate guide for how we are to live a life of faith. Why? Why is that? Because a life in relationship with God requires venturing into the unknown, into the mystery of what it will bring. But in that mystery is what is as certain as anything can possibly be in life, which is that you're never alone, but you will find the firmest foundation you will ever find in anything in life. And forgoing that life in exchange for the certainty of what you have now seems to me to be a far greater risk than listening and responding to God's call to you. So here's the question I have for you. What are you avoiding because you're afraid of the risk? And the related question, Are you avoiding what God is asking of you because you're afraid of losing control? Because if you are, I would argue that you're operating under a false assumption, that you control your life. Your ability to control your life and its outcome is far, far more limited than we like to think. That's what Moses was afraid of. Losing his control over his comfort and his safety if he traveled back to Egypt to do what God was asking. Moses is like each of us. He's afraid of the unknown. He doesn't trust. He's risk averse. He escaped Egypt 40 years earlier. He was a fugitive. And he was raising sheep for his father-in-law. Like life was pretty stable and safe and comfortable for him. And God came along to disrupt it. That's what happens. We like life to be safe. We want to preserve what we've worked long and hard for. It's why the insurance industry is so lucrative. The insurance industry knows our mindset. 
We want to preserve our stuff and our way of life. Insurance companies know we abhor risk and we love what we've accumulated. So we buy home and life insurance policies. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, but be careful how it affects your mindset because it can lead you to believe that you have more control than you do over what happens. It's a well-known psychological phenomenon that we believe we have a lot more control over our lives than we actually do. I mean, let's face it, we come up with five-year plans, bucket lists, New Year's resolutions, and our goals for the future. And while we're planning our lives and trying to execute on our plans, we're telling ourselves we're in charge. We control our destiny. But the truth of the matter is that we're not. Here's what tends to happen when we make a five-year plan. Either we change, or the world around us changes, or most likely both change. So by the time we get five years down the road, we're different people than we were when we made the plan. Your life circumstances change. Maybe you get sick. Maybe a loved one gets sick. Maybe you lose your job. Or maybe you just grow and experience new things that give you an entirely new perspective on yourself and the world and what you want to pursue. And in the extremely unlikely event that you remain exactly the same with the same life circumstances and perspectives, the world around you changes. You find yourself in a different world than the one that existed five years earlier when you made your plan. And as a result, you need to radically change your plans because the industry that you wanted to be in no longer exists. That's how we move in this world today. Or it's shrunk, or there are just new opportunities that are more interesting than the ones that existed at the time that you made your plan. My point is not that you should never make a plan. My point isn't that you should not make a plan. My point is that we just need to remain a little humble about the control we have over our lives. And the reason for that is so that we loosen our grip on how we envision our lives unfolding and we open ourselves to where we may be called where we may be diverted from our vision of our future, which may not be what you originally told yourself was where you wanted to be. No one wants to think that they're not in control of their life. I mean, after all, it gets drilled into us every day that we need goals. And if we work hard, if we, if we remain disciplined, if we avoid risk, we, we alone can achieve our dreams. But that's an illusion. By and large, we are not in control of our lives. Let me double down on that. We are not in control of our lives. Our lives are just impacted by too many variables that are outside of our control to think that we have any appreciable control over our lives. There's simply too many things. Our genetic makeup which we don't control. 
our upbringing, our families, and all kinds of things that happen to us that we don't have control over, over the course of our lives. So stop thinking that your destiny is in your control. It's not. That doesn't mean that we give up. It doesn't mean that nothing matters. Quite the opposite. We don't give up. We engage differently with our own lives. We engage by liberating ourselves from our plans in order to yield to a relationship with God so that we listen more intently to what God is saying to us. In that way of life, it's not that nothing matters, it's that everything matters. If God is speaking, it means that like Moses, we need to engage every day of our God-given existence in order to listen and then keep listening and then respond to the job that God has for us. See, the risk is not in listening to God and responding to what God is asking of you. The risk is in not listening to God and pursuing your own path thinking you have the ability to do it on your own. You don't. The risk we face is in listening to what we tell ourselves rather than what God is telling us. Moses got the first part right. He listened to God. He heard what God was calling him to do. He didn't ignore God like many of us do, like I do. He at least listened, and he kept listening to God's responses to his concerns. Moses' mistake was in thinking he knew better, that he could control his destiny, that if he pushed God off, that he could remain safe and comfortable in the pasture. Here's my point. Like Moses, we have this illusion that we know what's best for us and that we, on our own, can achieve what we want. Life is like poker, more than it's like chess or roulette. In poker, you're dealt a hand that you have no control over. From there, you don't relinquish control like you do in roulette but you don't have as much ability to affect the outcome as you do in a skill-based game like, like chess. You have some ability to improve it when you exchange your cards, but what you get back isn't in your control, and you have little control over what the other players at the table do that might affect how you wager and whether you stay in the game or you fold. There are just a lot of variables in poker that affect the outcome. But you only have control over a few of them. And then what happens is if you win, you delude yourself into thinking that you're a really skilled poker player. That's not the case. You judge it based on the results, not on the process that you followed. In poker, you can follow exactly the right process according to the textbook based on the odds and you can still get a terrible result. And vice versa. You can completely wing it, and you can get a great result 
And that's really infuriating for those of us who follow the right process. But that's life. So what do we do? If our ability to control our lives is so limited, what does that mean for, us, for those of us who want to live a life of faith? It means we need to follow the right process rather than striving for the result, thinking that we have total control over it. How do we do that? By listening to the one who wants to embrace us with his infinite love and trusting that he knows a lot more than we do and wants affirmatively to guide us If we can't control the result like poker, it means all we can do is follow the right process every day. And that process is one where we need to see that the risk is not in listening to God, the risk is in listening to ourselves. Let me go back to Moses for a moment. Here's how it went down with Moses. When God called Moses, he had a vision for how the rest of his life would go. He was 80 years old, probably getting ready to retire, although some of these guys in the Old Testament lived to be like hundreds of years old, so who knows. He was having a regular day in the pasture with the sheep doing whatever shepherds do all day. And one day God appears to him and he says, I need you to go back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites out of captivity. And Moses is like, seriously? I left there 40 years ago. I really don't want to go back. And God's like, I need you to do this. You will tell them that I sent you. And Moses says, no one's going to believe me. And he says, it's like he's saying, this feels a little presumptuous, what I should be doing here. Now notice, God doesn't give up on Moses. He doesn't say, "Ah, I'll go do it myself or I'll go find somebody else. God keeps speaking to Moses. Why? Because Moses keeps listening. And God promises to give him special signs to convince the Israelites to trust him. As Moses is running out of excuses for not doing what God is calling him to do, he sees that he's not going to be able to push God off so easily. And so then he sort of says, I'm not a very good speaker, God. And God says, listen, I'm the one giving you the words. I will be with you. God does not pump up Moses' ego. That's not how it works. God doesn't tell him, you're special, you're talented, you have a great speaking voice. That's not how God works. That's not how God speaks to you. Here's the key point of the story. God is telling Moses, Moses, this isn't about you. This isn't about who you are. This is about who I am, who I, God, am. When Moses finally pleads, he's like, please don't make me go, God. God says, I tell you what, let's find a way to make this happen. And God compromises with him. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's remarkable in this story. God says, I will speak through you, but if you're not comfortable speaking, you can speak through your brother, Aaron. Okay, you give him the words. I'll give you the words and you give the words to Aaron and he'll speak. And Moses accepts the deal and he goes on to become the most important prophet to the Jewish people. That's how it happens when we listen to God. You see, God speaks through our counterintuitive urges to do something beyond serving ourselves. 
our own plans, our own desires to keep it safe. Maybe you feel an urge to adopt or foster a child or do something else, some other form of mission like starting a nonprofit or a company for the greater good. Maybe you're a young person who's wanted to serve in the military. I throw these out as examples. Um, or be a nurse when all of your friends around you are going into finance. Maybe you're drawn to shifting your lifestyle a bit to spend more time with your family. Maybe you have a great business idea that will improve the lives for others or the planet. That's how God speaks. See, it can feel risky. It can feel risky to listen. Why? Because it might mean you need to take a pay cut to take a job with more flexibility. Or it might mean you need to shift from a promising trajectory that you're on in order to shift course to start that business or some other organization. It might mean that if you choose to adopt or foster a child, you just don't know how much it's going to shake up the comfort and predictability of your life that you've grown into. It might mean if you're somebody who's working in the military, that you're literally putting your life on the line. I don't know what God is calling you to do. Only you know that. But the one thing I can say for sure is that God is calling you. And it will feel risky to listen. That's how you know that it's God speaking. When it wasn't your plan, when it shakes you up inside, and when it feels risky, when it's not logical, when that happens, listen and keep listening. You and God will work it out, just like Moses and God did. The risk is not in changing your course and listening to God. The risk is in following your own plan and deluding yourself into thinking that you're the one in control. A life of faith is a way of living open to letting go of the illusion that we're in control and understanding that only God is in control. It's a way of being in the world open to accepting and learning and knowing that comes from a place outside of our logic and our instinct, guiding our behavior and our goals not by what we're telling ourselves, but by what we're being told by God. Opening ourselves to what's beyond everything we think is true. God is speaking to each of you. The only question is, are you willing to listen? Praise be to God.